Welcome to the Evolve Move Play podcast. I'm your host, Rafe Kelly. At Evolve Move Play, our aim is to help you cultivate a more meaningful life and a more heroic self by reconnecting deeply to movement, mindfulness, nature, and community practices. This podcast was created to bring the best and brightest minds in all of these subjects together to better understand how we can create an empowering and sustainable ecology of practices for personal growth. If you're interested in being part of this ongoing conversation, the best way you can support us and get involved is by joining our Podcast Plus membership. By joining, you will get backstage access to our live podcast airing once a month, as well as a private question and answer session with me and our guests after the show. On top of that, you'll get access to our thriving online community where you can continue these deeper discussions with people all over the world who are just as passionate and curious about these topics as you. More details about the membership as well as the link to get signed up are in the description below. And whether you can join, be sure to like, share, subscribe, and hit that bell icon so that you can be notified every Monday when our episodes drop. Thanks so much for your support, and we hope you enjoy the show. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Evolve Move Play podcast. This week, I guess, is Brandy Laird. Brandy is the founder of Citizen Operating Systems. And before that, she worked for many years at Parkour Visions. If you're familiar with my backstory, you'll have heard that name. Parkour Visions is an organization that I helped co-found, and it actually goes back to a nonprofit um, that was created in 2006 by my friend Tyson Checa. And I was the vice president of the board of that organization, and Brandy was one of the first board members as well. So then we became a teaching organization, and myself and Tyson were kind of running that teaching organization initially. That was Parkour Visions. And Brandy was one of our first apprentices and did a ton of work just volunteering and helping out in the origins of Parkour Visions. So Brandy became one of my first apprentice coaches. And she was somebody who really saw coaching very differently than me. And that became a, a source of tension between us for a while. But we did negotiate a way for her to kind of have enough space to do things her way while, you know, keeping the goals that I had for the program. And I was pretty hands off with her for a long time. But then I had a ton of feedback coming in that her coach uh, classes were something special. People described Brandy's classes as a kind of magic. And I realized that I had thought a lot about coaching, about our coaching program as kind of me me imagining and creating everything and giving it to the coaches and not respecting that they were also brilliant individuals who had something to offer. So in 2012, I started inviting them out to kind of tell me what their unique insights were into coaching. And in Brandy, I was particularly interested in what she had to say. And she told me that basically the way that I was looking at coaching was really about programming and about, you know, kind of engineering the best drills to create progression. What she was interested in was classes as a type of um, of experience and how can we give someone the most profound experience in the moment of the class? Because if they had those profound experiences, they'd get more out of the class and they'd be much more likely to come back and know they would have transformation over time. And that's, of course, incredibly resonant with what Evolve Move Play has become. So Brandy really helped point me down the road of thinking about training in a much more a holistic way and in a way that respected the autonomy of the student more deeply, and the necessity of the kind of effective or emotional side of coaching. So I've always had a deep respect for Brandy for pointing me that out to me. And since I left uh, Parkour Visions, she went on to, you know, really help the leading edge of parkour pedagogy around the world. She's helped organize the Art of the Retreat with Caitlin Pontrella, who's a former guest on our podcast as well. She's been a presenter there. She's presented at numerous gatherings worldwide in parkour. And, um, and she's worked extensively with some of the founders of parkour. So Brendy is really an amazing teacher in the community. She's not super well-known, um, you know, as far as a big media presence, but she's really an amazing coach and somebody who I have a ton of respect for. And of course, she's now working on this area of what, what citizen operating systems is, is looking at parkour as a form of self-preservation and intersecting, you know, everyday carry and self-defense ideas with parkour. So I wanted to get her on and talk about that because that's something I'm super interested in as a lifelong martial artist as well. And I think this is a really wonderful discussion. It's a short discussion. We only do about 45 minutes, but I think you guys are going to get a ton out of it. So without further ado, enjoy my conversation with Brandy Laird. Well, Brandy, welcome to the Evolve Move Play podcast. It's a pleasure to uh, to reconnect with you. 
Thank you. So you kind of a big, uh, big thing. You've been work, you worked with Parkour Visions for a decade almost, over a decade, twelve um, years. More than a decade. Yeah, yeah. twelve years. Just, we got nonprofit in two thousand seven, and it, I had been doing stuff with the pre version of Parkour Visions since before that. So Penwipa. Yeah. It's, oh, yeah. I mean, it still is the Pacific Northwest Parkour Association. Uh, that's what it's registered as. And if you want to, you know, find, find information about it, that's what you look up. Interesting. So. I always thought that sounded like a fun martial art. Penwipa. I did think it sounded like at the end of a strike. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, <like>. <laughs> <laughs> so you've, uh, you've moved on. Are you, are you focusing now just on citizen operating systems? Uh, yes, so my focuses are still pretty multifaceted, but it's all within the kind of citizen ops. Um, it's less, less a mouthful, so we can just say that. Um, that includes education, so that's the main citizen ops things that I want to be creating more regular content, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, protection, so I'm going into the bodyguard industry, I'm committing to doing that. That is uh, currently underway. And then eventually I want to move into uh, more consultation so people can you know, get the benefit of what I might know or have experienced without you know, having to actually have me there doing, doing anything other than that. Very cool. Well, congrats yeah. on, on starting your own thing. <laughs> Thank you. So I don't think that I've ever seen any of your material on parkour as self-defense but it's an idea that I've been interested in for a very long time as well, right? Like in, in self-defense circles, people often say, you know, your first strategy should be run away. They love it. They love it. Run away, Everyone. run away. A room full of, you know, overweight men smoking and telling you that their best strategy for dealing with a fight is to run away. Um, uh. <laughs> I'm not sure. If the, I'm not sure if those that's those people's strategy. They might be choosing the uh, fight versus the flight yeah. strategy. So, but they'll tell you that that's the right strategy. But what I don't see is people actually addressing any of the functional issues of what running away looks like. And we do a lot of stuff with evolving play that's more play oriented that teaches some of those skills, but is less kind of situationally oriented and like, okay, how you know how do we identify some of these things but it feels like a big missing piece of the self-defense conversation and it's interesting to me that it feels like uh, there hasn't been much interaction or intersection between parkour and it but like people often used to ask like is parkour a martial art and my answer would be it can be right that's what would be my answer too yeah. that is my answer too it yeah. can be yeah it's like i it's, think yeah go ahead can it have combative and martial arts, uh, you know, or, um, you know, military significance? Yes. Do you have to train it that way? No. Um, but, but, but yeah, I'm just curious to hear you talk about how you've approached thinking about that and starting to, to, to bridge it. How does parkour donate to a self-preservation practice? What are the things that people who practice parkour are missing in in actually being able to create this useful skill of escape or reach. And, um, and what are people who are talking about self-defense missing by not having this piece integrated? A lot of Ooh, questions. You gave, yeah, no, you gave me all of them uh, at once. So let's, let's do yeah. uh, one by one. So I think the, the, the first I'll one I'll remember them and bring them back. What, what does parkour uh, donate to self-defense? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's mobility, mobility. Everyone says movement is life. Right. If you're static, you're you're in death. And if you're talking in the sphere of self-defense, uh, you you're demonstrating that all the time with your footwork. Um, you know, getting off the X. If you're talking firearm stuff, you know, there's a constant focus on good movement and yeah. mobility when you're talking about having to to fight back. And in the same way, that is one of the first focuses of the. I can you know, I, I call it fighter fight club. I think it's cute. Maybe I'll come up with something else in the future. But the, the approaching parkour as a martial flight aspect, um, it's all about looking at exactly what you're doing in the one way and building your stare in the same in the same direction. And it's it's so funny to see, like, oh, just just run away. Gosh, 
gosh. So, you know, it lends, it lends the ability to actually do that when you have unusual sur surfaces, um, unstable obstacles, tight spaces, okay, corridors, uh, places full of furniture, you know. Uh, it enhances situational awareness by an incredible amount. In fact, I, to the point that your awareness becomes more fluency, okay, is helping with your fluency in a situation because you start to understand how to assess a structure from your experience in working in that realm of working with obstacles and structures to know, oh yes, this will hold my weight even if I've never touched it or interacted with it before, and this certainly will not. So many people just assume because something's metal or it looks good enough that it's sturdy, right? And so if you, your practice of pra I call it practical parkour applications um, or practical parkour to help differentiate it in the same way that sport parkour helps differentiate the competitive aspects through you know, just general parkour is practical parkour focuses on the more the soft skills than anything else of parkour itself, of the, uh, of the practice of running and moving around obstacles. And really all this unsexiest skills because they work the best. <laughs> the skills that are the, the least spectacular work the best for really just get go, right? So right. things like cutting and dodging. Um, I have a whole, whole modules on using obstacles to redirect. Uh, what does that mean? You know, being able to cut next to things, uh, getting out of entrapments, right? You, like, what happens if you try to run away and someone grabs your backpack? What do you do? Have you ever actually practiced that? Are you going to try and fight free in your backpack or are you going to get out of your backpack? Well, guess what? I have a whole module on it because I, I sure want to have a plan mm -hmm. and I sure want to have techniques that go with the plan. Oh, and guess what? Those techniques actually carry over into a bunch of other things, which you might already know. Okay. So it's the way, as far as breaking it down, the way to approach it is not, it's not like trying to reinvent parkour or anything. It's literally just looking at what in the movement of run, jump, crawl, climb, you know, spin and twist actually carries over into daily scenarios or can optimize them. Right. Yeah. Um, so, you know, uh, focus shifting is another huge one for me that I teach within this practical parkour is understanding when to look at the next thing, when to commit to the next thing. Yeah. Yeah. I call right. that visual flow. You call that what? Visual flow. Visual so flow. Shifting. You your yeah. through the environment. Same, same thing. Exactly. Exactly. The, that concept, right? So there's this extremely concept based and then of course scenario based, right? Yeah. I teach the way that it's great to get out of that backpack scenario that you're being grabbed. And then we make, we make a drill out of it. Um, I will say this, and I wanted, to, I wanted to make sure to say this, is I don't consider myself an expert in practical parkour application. I expect I, for myself, maybe, but what I'm trying to create right now is a lab. I want to experiment more because we haven't been saying this. And so, you know, a few of us noticed that a few years ago. Um, I do want to make sure that uh, Aaron Sturald of Base Fitness, like he's been at full contact parkour for a while, <laughs> oh, oh, longer than longer than I, I have been uh, focusing on breaking things down a bit. Um, and we nerd about out about this thing too, where you, yeah, you just take the same or similar paradigm, you just apply them. Um, so a good example would be the ATM. I love I love ATM scenarios uh, for for self defense, right? Because you're at the ATM and you know your back is to the thing, and someone comes up to you and you do your pa 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 pa. And uh, of course, uh, Lee Morrison would say, why are you letting them have put their hands on you in the first place? Like, why are you practicing from a, I don't know if you know Lee, Lee Morrison of Urban Combatives. Uh, not familiar. Okay. He, uh, stuff. Great stuff, great stuff. But he's like, you know, why are you practicing scenarios where people's hands are already on you, right? Now I can see the benefit of all scenario building. That's just my, I just love to be creative and I'm okay with uh, playing around. Um, but in the same way, why are we starting scenarios where I'm being uh, unaware? So maybe we're teaching ourselves to be here, but then what happens if someone does box me into that little L-shaped uh, railing mm -hmm. and that one open space and the wall that has the ATM? Do you know how to get over that railing? Do you know how to get under or through? Can you do it in the current clothing you're wearing and with the whatever you're holding? Have you taught yourself to let go of things so you can grab other things? That's a huge one as a juggler and someone who's talkable juggling. Just when people go from two to three, it's hilarious and it's it's consistent. So I can say this is a real thing. Is people they'll just hold on to this, the third one. They just the first thing I teach people to do is 
one, two, turn your hand and let it go. Interesting. Um, there was a scenario, there's a, a video, a security video of a guy on a bus in Seattle. And uh, a guy comes from the back of the bus, draws a gun, bunch of people, <laughs> walks past a bunch of people who don't notice him with a gun. Mm-hmm. And a, another fellow with his, his phone out in front of him only then notices when that gun is pointing at him. So this guy, it was pretty amazing because I was surprised. He, he actually does grab this, but he actually pockets his phone. <laughs> I, I'm serious. Yeah, yeah. In his face and he puts his phone in his pocket. Now, his phone was okay, but what do you, I mean, you know, what, whatever else going to, you know, throw it, right. something. Um, so these are the types of things that I'm looking at in these practical parkour, because of course I'm expanding my parkour into just manipulation of space and objects and obstacles. And that does include some of the, um, you know, chairs and things, right? Like, yeah, absolutely. And, and knowing how to, cre- how to create better, better uh, obstructions. Cause that's another thing people like to do the runaway thing in the movie and they just put over a, a tower or something like that person could just run around this way. Do you understand what creates an obstacle and really creates an opportunity from an obstacle and the difference in when to choose them. That's, that's what's going to keep you safer in your self-defense, not just, oh, run away, I mean, sprinting. And you don't have to practice this, too. I, I will say, you mentioned earlier that uh, the skills of parkour um, can automatically help you with those. And I, I'm going to have to agree with that. If you spent time on purpose targeting your footsteps and, you know, understanding obstacles, you're going to get the benefit of this more than someone some degree of transfer right but yeah like so when when someone says run away right and they're just like they you know you people hand wave it run away well are you faster than the person you're running away from are you wearing high heels are you wearing tight jeans um are you you know is there are you in a room how do you get to the door what's the time it takes you to get to a door um like so it's kind of like, you know, it, it'd be sort of like if everyone carried a gun around and you were like, well, just shoot people if they attack you. But nobody, right. nobody actually trained shooting and nobody knew what the critical distance is. Right. It's like, OK, yeah, if I'm, if it's I'm like saying just punch them, but having never actually practiced any punching. Yeah. You the have, same. It turns out, you know, if, if you're if you're within 20, uh, 21 feet of somebody and you have a gun and they have a knife, they have the advantage. So what, what's the critical distance to be able to turn around and run away from somebody? How is it so by situational? Here, the thing is, you're, we're already, you're already boxed in too far because run away doesn't always mean running. Mm-hmm. Let's reframe, okay? Sure. Let's reframe the whole thing. Well, we're not, we're, not, we're not practicing to run away. You're practicing to escape and evade. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's flight. Escape of it, fight. Engage, that's your fight. Like, all right, we're, you know, and that for some, for a lot of people, there is no running away mm-hmm. for, in any scenario because they're just, they don't have the ability to do that, right? Or they're, you know, your, if your kids were with you, like all of them, <laughs> what kind of running are you going to do? The whole, the whole time. You're going to have to like get in there. So um, let's first reframe it as escape and evade and that it's not always about running as fast as you can. It might be about creeping as quietly as possible because there is a situation going down where you don't want to be hurt. So can you have a low gauge crouch or a quadrupedal walk to keep you below the window so you can move in, you know, in stealth? This is what I'm meaning. So I can't quantify you a perfect 21 foot rule distance, which by no. the way, can, um, yeah, that's- that. so it's, it's really about like, do you understand what it means to escape and evade? and what that entails. So it's not just running away, especially not. In fact, and think about uh, corporate buildings. Uh, unfortunately, we have to bring in you know, domestic attacks and these sorts of things where someone's like, ah, blah, 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 sprinting down the hall. That's gonna tell someone right where you are. So perhaps you need to learn how to walk with control. And maybe it is looking more like Tai Chi than anything else in your practice because, well, that's what's gonna keep you quiet. Mm-hmm. So. Um, I just wanted to put, <laughs> to put that out there that it's, it's, it's more than just run away. And that's part of what, what bugs me about the current paradigm. Um, actually going to bring up the, even the paradigm of the, um, current active shooter response, um, 
like suggestions like oh by and large people are being told run hide fight mm-hmm. if you can run run if you can't run hide if you can't hide fight no mm-hmm. on the surface nothing wrong with that please by all means run hide fight yeah but let's talk we just talked about it run what does that mean mm-hmm. does run mean really just run or does run mean tactically escape based on the situation at hand yeah okay does hide mean stay in one place and just wait for something or does hide mean evade being detected until you can complete your next objective Mm -hmm. this is um this is where i think the strength of parkour and self-defense self-preservation uh really lies and what and what hasn't been um, really harnessed, especially in the uh, civilian citizen realm, because a, a lot of I would say, you know, professional military and, and these types are they're they're utilizing similar skills already for their professions. Um, but you know, if we're going to be giving people seminars on run, hide, fight, well, why not? Why not give them a little, a little bit more context uh, along with that? Yeah, I mean, LEO and military do do practice these skills for sure, but they're not specialists in these skills the way that a parkour athlete is, right? Like there's always, you know, there's lots of things about say kickboxing or MMA that don't translate to a military situation, but military people can't devote nearly as much of their time to being competent at hand-to-hand combat as people in combat sports. So there's always something to be learned. You just have to situationally repurpose it. It's the same thing for, from my perspective, from parkour. There's lots of stuff we do in parkour that's really not applicable to a tactical situation. But there's always going to be stuff that's being discovered in parkour and levels of competence that are going to be happening within parkour that are going to be superior to something that uh, a military person is going to be developing generally because, you know, we're, you know, they're just, they have so many other demands, right? And we, can often- actually, we can already see that a lot in the shooting sports, actually. Um, if you look, there's a number of tactical game type sports, which is your obstacle based shooting uh, competition where people are, you know, doing some balance and going through some small spaces and having to navigate their, their gear. And we'll see the classic uh, wall, wall climb, right? So you get the rifle out of the way and you, get yourself over the wall. And so you already, you can already just with a, a cursory search to see where there are still tactics that could instantaneously benefit from what people in the parkour realm have already gone figured out, um, but that people are still doing because that's just the way it's always been done. Um, and then of course the, your, uh, your gear. So things change depending on what, you, what you're wearing, right? Uh, but I would say still, even the people who I would say are on the forefront of bringing mobility and movement uh, fluency, like environmental fluency into that tactical realm or the self-defense arena, um, I think there still is that that crucial um, disconnect or that crucial lacking of actually doing chase scenarios. And... Um, and actually seeing seeing how that seeing how that functions uh if they're teaching people that right if you're not teaching people to run away then by all means carry on with with your engage engage if that's what you're teaching but if you're if you're going to say it yeah come on I mean, at least prepare people a bit mm-hmm. uh i mean was the last time a lot of these people did a sprint or tried to cut through a doorway without bashing or anything mm-hmm. um, you know what does it look like to anyway I have, I'm, I, I don't want to nerd out too, too deeply because it, it does change. It does, in my opinion, again, this is just my, my experiment, my, my opinion, but um, cutting around corridors and, and through thresholds with the intent to engage a threat is completely different than just trying to get away. Like it, or hide or hide. Like, right. You know, so you know, depending on what you're. Yeah. Run away from an active shooter. Well, do you run with the assumption that there's only one active shooter and then you're just booking it through corridors? Mm-hmm. What, what, yeah. if what if they're, what if you're running straight into another situation? Yeah. Or if you're unarmed and, but you're, but you're pushing hard call of duty cells. I, I learned to pie the room <laughs> to enter this room with violence and speed of action, but you're complete, like you have nothing, then that's going to change what you can do there. Right. Yeah. So um, I can't purport to say that I have experience in that realm. Uh, I've been running around and jumping off things for a long time, mm-hmm. but I, I do definitely think that there's, there's a lot more we, we need to uh, suss out 
in the the most like practical applications. I mean, I have my list, and I know others who have their list. Um, I have a great way to get a great place to get a list too. By the way, something that's been very satisfying to see and very um, just affirming is the rise of World Chase Tag. Yeah, yeah. Because in World Chase Tag, this is I think this, this kind of brings back around to what you were saying before, where Parkour is coming back around in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Where World Chase Tag is one of the most accurate tests of adaptable, quick, like can you get places ability, and is alive like chaotic environment with with another human that's a perfect little uh petri dish to see what things are working for people to escape evade or um you know yeah engage right so the exact things like there's i'm not i'm not seeing any flips happening (laughs) you know there's some kong ups we're not seeing big huge flying kongs or cats we're seeing people scramble QM, QM all over the place. How many years have people said, oh, QM is so dumb, don't ever practice that? Like, <laughs> come on. And then it's happening for half of those rounds yeah. every time. Um, people are, you know, diving and sliding on their stomachs, and that's actually a functional technique. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's actually because only because the space doesn't allow for it. That's also telling me that, well, dive rolls also, because hmm, this is a hand, this is a similar position. So I can use this as like this world chase, like these top athletes chasing each other around oh that's practical hardware applications right there yeah Boom. Absolutely. that's what i'm talking about the self-defense you want to get away from someone study what they're doing in there yeah yeah it's a great it's a great um great study of aliveness um i actually just interviewed those guys uh damien and um oh. so that'll be coming up on the podcast as well okay well shout out to them because uh they're they're doing it's, it's a cool and, and thing that's um, in the scheme of spectacles, I'm I'm the happiest with that one at this point. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I get into super, you know, just geeking out on about all this stuff. One of the things I like to watch is actually um, uh, rodeo clowns and uh, people who like escape escape uh, bulls and jump over bulls and flip over bulls. Right, that's a a great a great study of escape and evasion tactics. And how you think about it, how you set up your spacing, when you change direction, and these are the things that I think. You know, we, I asked the question, kind of what what can parkour open a window into for people who are thinking about self defense? And the flip side of that question is like, if parkour is, has some idea of reaching escape, how do we actually serve that better? Um, and for me, you know, like you remember the first aliveness classes we ever did at. Uh, at Parkour Visions back in 2009, all right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, vaguely, it's all kind of mushed together in my brain, I have to be honest. <laughs> I had you guys racing each other. Remember, we, we, used, oh, to, yeah. uh, we used to do the, um, we had that little rock wall, and I have you guys uh, try to knock each other off the rock wall. Yeah, we did that chicken on the rock wall. Yeah. Yeah, for yeah. sure, for uh, sure. That was my earliest experiments in aliveness. So one of the things that I, I use the terms escape and evasion, and I don't know if this is an accurate way to use them, but for me, an escape is sort of when you're not kind of in contact with the person. So like, um, we'll give a sport example. So if you're a wide, wide receiver and you're on the line of scrimmage, right, and you catch the ball and the defender is in front of you, you have to evade him. And then once you're past him, you have to continue escaping until you get to the end zone. That's the way that I use it. So there's skills that that are about getting past someone trying to, to intercept you. And then there are skills that are about just getting away once you have daylight. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I have no idea whether that reflects uh, underlying ling- linguistic. I've just divided it up that way. So I have a way to think about it. Um, but I like to do so like... Uh, uh, an example of a game that we would play would be like duck, duck, goose tag, right? So you set up an optional course. You can have a course yeah. that you're going through. Human, human, zombie. Human, human. There we go. <laughs> so you tag, right? So now, because the obstacle, so the the person is not between me and the obstacles. I just need to stay ahead of them. So that's an escape game, right? But I can also set up a game where I have to get past somebody in order to enter some skill and we've actually found really interesting things with with that where um very often parkour athletes get stuck in a 
paralysis by analysis of footwork into jumps. And if you make them juke somebody before the jump, they will break that or just like get pushed and then have to go. Mm -hmm. um, we call that perturbance training. That is, uh, it turns out to be a really interesting in the way that it kind of ties into the, the reactive mindset. Um, but I, I think that's that change of direction ability to get around people is a huge aspect of actually functional escape and reach ability. It's completely um, not, not addressed in current parkour training. Yes. So this is, if I could, if I could put on one thing, well, three main things, um, what you're speaking to just lateral movement, yeah. lateral footwork. It's, it's, I mean, I started, I, I did a year cause I liked it every, when I was doing uh, coaching summers and stuff, I would focus on one thing every single summer and really dive deep and bring it to everywhere I was teaching. Um, and I, I did that a few years ago and everyone was blown away by, you know, just jumping and then changing directions and moving forward. I mean, this, this is one of the most classic, one of the first drills I'm going to teach someone in, in a fight or fly club is, you know, um, it's also the kind of thing that wrecks even the best athletes because even, even they aren't training their tissues and training their, uh, responsiveness or their physical responsiveness in lateral directions. You know, they need to be in lateral all the time. And football players are a great example of basketball players. Yeah. Um, so yeah, parkour is missing a huge, a huge ability to actually change directions to meaningfully change directions. Um, it, it, in my opinion, footwork wise. Mm -hmm. um, I think there's also a lack of understanding and lack of practice actually uh, utilizing the hands. It's really quadrupedal motion movement, but uh, I call it redirecting or, or guiding, but there's, you know, grabbing onto things and pulling yourself the next way or keeping the, I call it or the whiskers move where you're just doing it just so you can feel it. So, you, cause you're on the next thing, mm -hmm. right? These are the simple things that you're seeing again in that uh, well chase tag examples. And, and actually, if you just watch any, any video of uh, people running from authorities yeah. effectively you're seeing stuff like this or heck oh my goodness gate vaults and chest vaults <laughs> i remember there was a video max max henry put out uh, a couple years ago and he or, did some, a gate vault and then everyone was like oh my gosh i never thought gate vaults were ever useful that's amazing wow thank you for showing me i'm like but it's always been like but they're great. They're great for getting these things for this specific purpose that is actually more frequent than your scenario of being like the parkour hero, right? Well, so what people yeah. are missing are the fundamentals and the stuff that's not sexy. Yeah, I mean, speaking of gate vaults, I did a, I, I went and just tried to watch a lot of people escaping burning buildings, right? To look at like mm -hmm. genuine escape scenarios and people escaping the cops and all that kind of stuff, study of aliveness. One of the things that came out was that when you're getting out of a building, a gate vault is often the thing that you do, right? Because you have to go through a window and a lot, you can't lazy vault through windows. You can't step vault through windows. Firefighters literally train the move down the ladder. Yeah. 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 So it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's this huge, it's this huge thing of like escaping buildings, which are really important often involves having to, get through something that has narrow surfaces, right? And where there might be a big drop on the other side. So being able to and come- You might be encumbered. Yeah. Because guess what you could do with a baby in your arms? Yeah. yeah. Not like it's very hard to do a lot else yeah. other than like chest balls, butt spins, <laughs> you know, and, and shimmies. Mm -hmm. Not sexy, but it freaking works. Yeah. Yeah. So those are some of the things that I, that I like to do and just get people doing aliveness. You know, my son's playing rugby as well, because I think oh, you know, that's perfect. Like, that's perfect. direction, you're stiff arming people contact. And then of course, grappling because, you know, and grappling to escape or striking to escape is a whole thing that's different than grappling to submit or striking to knock out. Right. Yes people don't realize that. Like how would, how would you like um, John Donaher talks about this in relationship to John Donaher is one of the best uh, jujitsu coaches in the world. Um, he was George St. Pierre's uh, one of George St. Pierre's jujitsu coaches. He worked with him um, along with Faraz Sahabi, Gordon Ryan, who's the best uh, jujitsu player in the world right now is his student, uh, Gary Tonin. So anyways, Donaher is a fascinating person. Check him out. He's an amazing systems thinker, but he, he talks about how, George St. Pierre basically developed 
shoot boxing in or wrestle boxing in the UFC. He, he took it to a new level because he, there were people who could wrestle and people who could strike, but there was nobody who really had a true tactical understanding of how wrestle, how strikes can set up wrestling and how you utilize the strikes. So the purpose of the strike yeah, I mean, if you can knock the guy out, you can knock the guy out. But if you if you optimize your game for how the strike opens opportunities to engage a takedown, that's different than being able to do takedowns and being able to do strikes. And we could say the same thing in this scenario. Striking to, to escape and striking to or grappling to escape is not the same as grappling to submit or dominate or striking to knock out or dominate, right? Like you, you, you have to have new tactical understandings to think, okay, you know, how am I going to angle off? How am I going to use this? How am I going to take advantage yeah. of this? Yeah. create a window for escape? Yeah. The intent absolutely dictates the, the tool, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's only tactical, but it works, yeah. <laughs> right? So if you're using something that is supposed to work, but it doesn't, well, that's not, that's, that's not tactics. You're just misapplying tools, and a lot of people don't know that there are more tools, um, which is why they get misapplied all the time. Um, it's interesting too with the escape because I also think of it as such a fluid circumstance as well, because I might be wanting to escape now, but once I have escaped up to a point, now I might want to turn around and re-engage. Mm-hmm. So you were saying how for you, you uh, differentiate evade as someone's, you know, something is ahead of you, someone's ahead of you and you're looking out and then getting to the escape and escape is just continuing on. Um, I think of escape as enough away that I actually have, at least at this moment, control over where I go next. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's lines up fairly tightly, not quite exactly the same, but you know, uh, my, my movement is less reactive to you at that point and more reactive to the environment ahead of me. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I, I, I agree with that. Um, but I can, I also think of escape, like my escape might be like that. That's my time for escape. And now I'm back to evading or whatever. Um, it's very interesting. And then, I mean, the other stuff still comes in. So, you know, escaping, so grappling for escape versus for a submission or something, you still might be slamming some, some, uh, targeted attacks in there. Right. Oh, so yeah. just all knowing that whole that whole realm um it's like uh like having combos is kind of what you're, when you were talking about the difference between you know there's the good strikers and good grapplers but people who can kind of set up um strike good strikers to be grappled and vice versa it, honestly with my with my nerd brain makes me think of things like uh the smash brothers video game where people spend hours and days and hours learning the particular inputs that sets the particular distancing, it's all timing and distancing, the same as we would physically, yeah. uh, to, to inhibit the other character from reacting in a moment that you, where you can fit the most in. Um, and this is probably why I love Lee, the Lee Morrison fellow I mentioned earlier with his urban combatives is he really, that's kind of his whole thing is just, just overwhelm the inputs with what you have. Mm-hmm. Um, and in these scenarios, you have to, if it comes to that, uh, so, yeah. so yeah, just having options within that because I don't want just one or the other. I want as much as I can. I want as much as I'm able to to do, um, and that's what I just hope for other people, right? I, I don't say it's you know it's not right or wrong to focus in any martial art or any particular thing. I'd rather people do something than nothing. I just wish for everyone to be as safe as possible, and so because I think this is one thing that makes us a lot safer. Of course, I'm going to talk about it. Yeah, I mean whether it's parkour or martial arts, my, my thing is always just the authenticity, right? Don't say you train for reach and escape and spend all your time flipping off platforms. You know, don't say you're training for self-defense and spend all your time doing kata, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess I'm randori in there. <laughs> right? So, you know, my, my the ultimate telos of what I do is not reach or escape. It is not fighting, right? I want those to be outputs of the thing that I do. I want to be better at those in general. But the ultimate thing is about, you know, essentially creating the my character that I want, right? Making, mm-hmm. making the internal characteristics in myself um, and 
connecting to the things that make my life meaningful. So that that's, that's ultimately what I'm most interested in. So like, you know, I, I follow uh, Rory Miller a lot on self-defense stuff and uh, Steve Morris. Those are kind of two of my big influences in thinking about self-defense. And, and Steve's like really big on, you know, the, the like be hyper, hyper ready to be violent, you know? Um, and all your training should be sort of oriented towards this. Um, and I think there's a lot of insight in it, but it's like, um, I don't know that it ultimately serves that that approach is perfectly aligned with the purpose that I'm trying to serve right now. If you, if what you really want is the best ability to handle yourself in a street fight, you should go train with Steve, you know, and view any training with me as a ancillary, right? It could be very supportive of developing qualities that will help you, right? Um, but it's definitely not targeted at the same target, right? And I just think it's important to be, to be honest, and I see a lot of stuff that's not honest, right? Yes, uh, I mean, that's the whole, I mean, that's, that's cross-industry issues there. I mean, I, I'm kind of going to wrap in the self-defense um, combatives and even the um, uh, fitness industry in all of this, right? Telling people that you have this thing that's going to do for them what you say it's going to do, but you're just, you're just regurgitating or, you know, um, even just, uh, just copying, straight up copying things that you didn't, don't even know the mechanisms to. That's the one that gets me the most is seeing people trying to implement, you know, they go to a seminar, they take a couple of years of training and then they go regurgitate something. And it's very clear. They don't know. They don't understand what they're talking about. They just know what they were told. <laughs> um, so I see, I see that across the board. And I think it just comes down to, I, I, I play semantics a lot. Okay. Words love, love me some words. And so I'm going to choose the word fitness. Mm -hmm. You have to choose your fitness uh, journey, whether that is including martial arts um, or, or your other self-preservations like your mental and emotional health therapies, et cetera. You must choose that based on what your mission is or what your life requires. Not everyone requires doing a bunch of deadlifts and then doing a bunch of pull-ups. Not everyone requires that. For, for having a, a life that feels good. Some people require doing that. That itself is self-fulfilling. And that's enough to, to be in there. Auto-telic. Um, huh? Um, play is autotelic, right? It, it is yeah, its own. Yeah, it's it's self-fulfilling. It's, it's, it's lovely. Um, and then a lot of people, you know, they have both. Or it's that and it's serving them in another way. So I think that it gets muddied as well with this whole self-defense because the self-defense industry relies on people's fear and anxiety hmm. and what's easier to manipulate than people's fear and anxiety i don't know of anything else easier than that yeah. so when you have when you're having all these people coming to you and coming into okay maybe there's something easier it's like man i get to serve a okay, lot yeah, lots okay. but okay well, I'm, <laughs> uh, I'm a little more res resilient against uh lust lust manipulations at least these days but uh <laughs> But it's pretty darn easy to, to take people who are in a state of fear or in a state of like feeling like they need survival and saying, well, this, this will help you. Right? There's, I'm not going to go too deep into that, but there's other even more insidious ways and, and uh, elements that we, we humans love to do uh, for ourselves to help us alleviate our fear. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that's a huge part of it is where that's in there and, you know, okay, instep, you know, groin, you know, headbutt, get away. Um, there's, there's like this image out there that once you know a basic thing is that you're going to be okay enough, or if you carry this tool, then that's going to be an end all be all. So, you know, it's not only that people are afraid is that people are afraid and they don't want to work hard. Yeah, yeah. They don't want, they don't want the hard, the hard progress, the process of learning how to actually be proficient. It's hard freaking work. And, and some, some people who do, and a lot of people who do want the hard work, they don't have an avenue to get to that hard work because they're too afraid by whatever community or um, environment a lot of these places create, especially self-defense. And we start getting things like weapons involved. You can get some pretty gnarly environments for people who are just like, well, I just want to be safer. I don't know anything about this. I'm not maybe naturally attuned to this, but I recognize its utility. Um, and so it's really easy to slide in all the goofball stuff um and you know make pretty pretty statements it's like very yeah. easy i mean 
That's one of the reasons why I like parkour. I think some of the problems that I identify in in martial arts, it's like parkour is actually a a place where it's it works better in some ways. It feels like for me, like I feel like parkour is really good at creating honesty about your physical capacities and and humility, right? Like I. I'm six foot one, 225 pounds. You know, I'm a very powerful athlete. I've been doing martial arts since I was six years old. I walk into most gyms and can smash their their blue belts and brown belts and whatever. And, you know, I can kickbox. And the reality is that like there are thousands of fight scenarios, millions, billions of fight scenarios where I'm gonna get my ass kicked. Right. There's you know, like multiples, getting blindsided. It's like there's no, there's no anything sharp. <laughs> there's no level of training that will ever make you invulnerable. Right. Um, right. There. So there's, there, there's a desire for that sense of security. They're like, I can take care of myself, you know? And it's like what you can handle myself. People used to say that he can handle himself. Well, right. That's a good, good, like that guy can fight. Right. Yeah, yeah, I understand that one. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. I, can handle, I can handle myself. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's always, it's always, it's always to a degree. It's always contextual. There's always something beyond your ability to handle it. And that's not just in a fight, right? But <laughs> the cool thing about it about parkour is it's just so obvious. It's like, it's like you know what you can jump, right? And then you know that there are jumps beyond what you can jump. And then you know that there are jumps that are beyond your ability to ever jump. And there are jumps that are beyond anybody's ability to ever jump. It's like, you know, maybe I can do a 15 foot running broad jump. Okay. So maybe if I train my butt off, I could do 16, 17 feet. Right. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. truly like, I'll never have that. I'll yeah. never have that. Distance, but that's yeah. okay. It's like, uh, I'm, I'm never, I'm never going to do a 27 foot, uh, dr drop front flip, like, like Dom Tomato. I'll, right? I'll never do an 18 foot lache. <laughs> And it, and it's just so concrete, right? It's just like, that's what it is. Whereas it, there's something weirdly mushy about martial arts to me, right? Because even a, a fight in the ring is not a fight in the street. Like you'll see people, like people will lose a fight in the ring and be like, oh man, I would have beat your butt in the, in the street. <laughs> right, if I could play and poke the eyeballs and, you know, stick yeah. you up. You know, um, and then when you're sparring, you always have limitations. You always have safety protocols in place. And so it's always like, well, you know, how, how, how real is this? Um, you try to make it as real as you can, but it's always, there's always an element of, of limitation that you are, that, that there's a question around what would it look like without those limitations? Yes. Yeah. I, um, I experienced that. Uh, I was um, on a training day and, we, I was exhausted. I had no, I had no business being there, but, uh, we were doing, uh, being on the ground and people are doing the, the old knife. They're like, I'm being, I'm uh, being, I'm mounted. And as I'm working on stopping and at some point I'm like so exhausted that either I stop training this drill or I need to escalate into actual survival level now. Like, yeah. like I'm, you know, I'm getting weaker and weaker and, and tired and ugh, yeah. like, okay. It's either this is my, my turn is done or I'm going to start like really having to be sure to feel that, that feeling like this is getting worse. So um, that's, that's important to know. It's, it's all calibration too, right? Because if you don't know what that feels like, that's also not going to be helpful in those scenarios either. No matter how many times you punch or do this, if you don't have a, if you haven't had that sensation, well, then maybe you, you don't know, you don't know. I don't know. And I'm glad not to know a lot of things about what, how I'm going to react because I don't want to have to figure it out, but I can at least imagine a good handful of scenarios and a good handful of ways I would want to meet those scenarios. And I have the ability and the mentality to practice those enough that, okay, I can move on. Yeah. I, I mean, my goal is to be better able to handle the types of problem to, to handle problems. Right. Mm -hmm. Movement problems and life problems, and problem yeah, that's that's it, right? Um, movement problem solvers. That's that's the foundation of it for me. Um, and just be better able to do it. 
Yeah, I guess I could say I'm, I'm also in that boat, uh, problem solving. Because I mean, create, I'm so, yeah. This whole, my, my whole brain's around how can I create? How can I, I have a problem. These things aren't the way that I want them to be. Or this is missing here. Or wouldn't this be cool? That's yeah. all in the realm of solving problems for sure. I feel like I'm fatiguing a little bit. And I know we've been yeah. on the call for, for quite a while. Um, and I just feel like, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm losing my ability to be a good interviewer, but uh, no, it's, uh, the technical difficulties did suck, yeah. suck some of the, uh, the energy out too. So. This was great. I really enjoyed, uh, especially the part where the, the chat about the self-defense side and I'm excited that you're, you're digging so deep into this and thinking about it and I hope we get a chance to, to share some material in the, in the flesh space, uh, one of these days. Thanks. Yeah. I'm, uh, working on some things right now. We'll say, uh, so just stay tuned. <laughs> it's coming. So for folks who'd like to, to tack, uh, tap into what you're doing and understand more about the Brandy Laird world and citizen yeah. ops, um, where do they go? Uh, right now, I'm most active on my Instagram account, Citizen Operating Systems, or at Citizen Operating Systems. Uh, I do have a website, though. It's uh, citizenoperatingsystems.co, okay, .co. Um, that will be, that will be the headquarters for many things upcoming. It's fairly barren right now, although you can see a little bit, at least about the fight or flight club philosophy. If you go over there, um, you'll see some stuff about stop the bleed. If you're in Seattle, I do teach, um, traumatic bleeding, uh, management just to everyday folks. Um, those are always donation based. So always free. So you can find a little widget to sign up for self bleed classes and learn more about that. So again, if you want to, uh, kind of see the more, uh, official face citizen operating systems.co if you want to just see what I'm doing as far as day-to-day -day and uh, daily contents kind of stuff uh, check out the Instagram very cool well thank you very much for joining me Randy yeah thanks for having me Rafe it's been great hey you reached the end of another Evolve Move Play podcast if you enjoyed what you heard if you want to be involved in the conversation please consider joining us in our new membership subscription so you can get access to question and answers with our live speakers once a month, question answers with me once a month, and a dedicated forum to discuss everything going on in the podcast, as well as a general discussion of movement on our general movement forums. If you're interested in that, make sure to check out the link below, get signed up and join a part of our membership community. If you can't join our membership community right now, it's still always helpful if you can like, share and subscribe, and even hit that bell and get notifications for upcoming Evolve Move Play podcasts. But audios for now, and we'll see you next time. Thanks, guys.